0: Last week we started a new series and we called it Wonderfully Made. And we're highlighting how uh, we are created bodies wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made was the text we were looking at last week. And we highlighted how also part of what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made is that we are created in God's image, and that is a fearful and wonderful thing. It also gives us a sense of purpose. As a human being creating God's image, it gives me a sense of purpose to reflect Him to this world so that others might see, uh, catch a glimmer of what God is like through my life. What we want to highlight this week, though, is that we are also broken bodies. We are created bodies, we are in the image of God, and yet we are also broken. It doesn't mean that it negates the fact that we're created in God's image, it's just we're stacking a truth on top of it. And so God's image that is us is broken. And it's doesn't hard to see that brokenness in our own human bodies as as well as in the world as we look around. Um, I know as as we age, I think we grow more and more aware of the brokenness of these bodies. Um, I spend time uh, with people who are older than me and I spend time with people that are younger than me. Oftentimes when I spend time with people that are older than me, the conversation just trends towards doctor's appointments and aches and pains and different tests. And so we become more aware as we age of that we're broken. And uh, as I spend time with people that are younger than me, I think of my children in my home growing up, right? I've got a five-year-old, a nine-year-old, an 11-year-old, and I watch them wrestle on the ground, and I'm like, oh, if you only knew, like, oh, so your head was so close to the edge. Oh, my, oh, that has to hurt. And they pop right back up. They're just sort of living their young, naive lives, unaware of how fragile they are. I took Henry, my nine-year-old, and one of his friends on the street on a little bike ride recently, and we were in the woods on this little trail, and it was raining, and so the trail was mud now, and we're coming down this spot, and they're on their bikes, and I was like, boys, be careful because this is a narrow little mud path, it's raining. If you go off to the side, it's, it's a bit of a ways down there to the creek, and so just be careful. So Henry was cautious, and, and he went down cautiously. And then his friend on the street, he has one of those bikes that you have to pedal backwards to break, and he comes down that hill feet out, like both feet, <laughs> out like this, just like, ah! And uh, he was fine but just naive, unaware of how fragile and broken the bodies we live in are. Um, now, the reverse happens too. I mean, people that are older than me will stop me sometimes and say, hey, be careful. Like sometimes we'll get a shipment in the, in the foyer and there'll be some heavy boxes and somebody older than me will be there and I'll just bend down and pick them right up and they'll say, no, be careful, be careful your back. And I'll say, I'm young and strong. I never had any back problems. And then someone will call me, one of my friends will call me and say, like, oh, um, I, I just threw my back out picking a sock up off the floor. I'm like, there it is, right? It's just, we're broken people, broken bodies. And we can chuckle about it with some illustrations, but then you just get punched in the gut when you walk into Children's Hospital, and then you're like, oh, my goodness, boy, the world is broken. Or you scroll through the news feed and you're just like, oh, the brokenness is just so evident and so tragic and so sad. But the brokenness is all around us. We are broken people. Some of it's more evident than others. There's no denying that. Some people, their bodies, uh, manifest the brokenness more than other people's bodies. But whether the brokenness is seen on the outside or hidden on the inside... We are all broken people, and so we want to turn our eyes and see what God has to say in his word about these broken bodies that we are. And so to do that, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, specifically verses 6 to 18. So the book of Corinthians is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church that was in a town called Corinth, and the people who live in the town called Corinth are Corinthians. Corinthians. And so he wrote them two letters that we have a copy of, and this is the second one. And in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he writes this to them in verses 6 and 7. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So what I want you to see in that verse is that wonderful uh, expression that we have these treasures in jars of clay. So that highlights for us the jars of clay is just a picture of our broken bodies. That's how Paul has chose to use it uh, poetically. This broken body that we have is a clay jar. But there's something in the clay jar. Did you see that? There's a treasure inside this jar of clay. So what is the treasure? Verse 6, it told us what the treasure is. It's a long complicated stacked sentence but it's that the light has shown the same light that's shown out of darkness so what paul is doing is he's tapping you in all the way back to genesis chapter one he's saying remember when god created the world and he spoke and said let light shine out of darkness he's saying that that same god has shined into our hearts with what with the knowledge of the glory of God, which is the face of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is he's saying, that same God that spoke light out of darkness has gone into my dark heart and shined the face of Jesus. So Paul is saying it's the good news of the gospel that Jesus came down from heaven to earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and sets me free. That is the light that is shined into the darkness of my heart. And Paul is saying, if you have that, if that light is shined into your heart, oh, then that is such a treasure, and you have that treasure in a jar of clay. But at the very top of the sermon, it's important for us to highlight the fact that I have hope for you in your broken body if you have received the treasure. But let's just highlight the fact that there are people all around us in the world today who have refused the treasure, who have said they don't want that treasure that is the light of the glory of God and the face of Jesus to be in their heart, And so, if you have chosen to reject the free gift of the treasure of the glory of God being at work in your heart through Jesus Christ, then I don't have hope for you today. But if you have that treasure inside of you, then even in the midst of our broken bodies, I think we have great reason to hope. So, we live with jars of clay. And when I think about a jar of clay, I think of something that is humble, I think of something that is fragile, something that is weak. I think that's a fair description of our human bodies. Our broken bodies are jars of clay, and the brokenness can be seen in our sickness and in our suffering. As we look to the God's Word this morning to see what it has to say about our broken bodies, we can see what God's Word has to say about our sickness and our suffering. And I think it shows us in the God's Word that our sickness and suffering can come from three places. One place that our sickness and suffering comes, most certainly all sickness and suffering, comes from the fall. And that's just a religious word that we use to describe what happens in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world perfect. And in Genesis chapter 3, we fall from grace. It's like last week I said we are these little statues created in God's image. It would be as if the statue got knocked off the shelf, fell to the ground, and shattered to a thousand pieces. That is Genesis chapter 3, the fall. And as Adam and Eve reach for that, uh, that, uh, that fruit that was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they eat it, what they're doing is they're choosing to trust in themselves and not trust in God. And when they do that, their bodies broke. The whole world broke. Their brain, their minds broke. Their bodies broke. Their souls broke. And we inherit that brokenness from them and it manifests itself in sickness and suffering. Now, that's one stream which sickness and suffering can come from us. So actually, all sickness and suffering comes from that stream, but there is another stream, and that's self-inflicted. So certainly, Scripture would highlight that we can do this to ourselves as well. And you just read through the stories in the Bible, and you'll see, like, well, that was some self-inflicted suffering, wasn't it? It's like if I eat hot wings at midnight and I wake up at 2 a.m., I can blame Adam and Eve, but, I mean, logic would say I should probably blame myself as well. Whenever I choose to get on my bicycle at 6 a.m. and stay in that saddle until 8 p.m., I can blame my friends for telling me to go. (laughs) Or I can just realize that that was self-inflicted pain that I am now feeling in my body. So some of it's self-inflicted. Then the third strain in which it can come to us is certainly by other people. It's true, like my selfishness can produce a fruit in your life of suffering and sickness. That's not hard to illustrate. We can probably think of examples of how that has been true in our lives. I was selfish and it caused suffering or sickness for this person over here. And so sometimes in the mess of our lives, we get a cocktail of all three, don't we? The world is broken through the fall. I'm a broken person and you're a broken person. You put us all together and guess what? We get some sickness and suffering that comes to us. But let me just pause for a minute and just highlight something because I think sometimes some of us carry guilt that we don't need to carry when sickness or suffering comes into our lives or the lives of a loved one. Jesus at one point in John chapter 9 where it's recorded that he went and he healed a man born blind. His disciples came up to him and said, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it this man or was it his parents? And Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. It's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned. Jesus will go on to say that it's this way so that God can be glorified in his life. But the point Jesus is making is this, like, don't do that. Don't step into this situation and try to assign his sickness to someone else's sin. Listen, the the, the sin in this guy's life just comes from the fall. This world is broken. And and sometimes we want to step into sickness or suffering that's in our life or the lives of our friends. And we want to try to absorb the guilt or point the finger to a guilt. And I'm just saying, you don't have to do that. Jesus knows the reason why. And we can just look to Him. So the fragility of our clay pots can be seen in our sickness and our suffering. If you want a a really good illustration of it, you can look to our prayer bulletin. We publish this every week. There's actually a, a prayer, email prayer chain. I, there was a slide up in the service earlier. I don't know, maybe they can put it up again, but you can be a part of an email prayer chain. We take the email prayer chains and we put them into this document and every Wednesday at 3 o'clock a group of us gather and we pray through every single list of the requests that people have shared. And so we pray for Dick and Marie Brethauer and, and Dick worships with us online every Sunday. And we prayed for Marie in this chapter of her life and struggles that she is having. We prayed for Fred and Lisa's grandson Bryson who's three years old and the cancer is still there. We prayed for Ron Stokel who's worshiping with us online right now. We prayed for our brother and sister Juan and Bruni because the cancer is back in Juan's life again. So our bodies are broken and it comes through the fall and we live with the brokenness, and we support one another in prayer through it, but there's no denying the fact that we are in fragile clay pots in these broken bodies. So the sickness and suffering is one way you can see that. Another way you can see that is you could be living in just relatively great health and be plagued with what we will call body shame. So body shame is something that we seem to struggle with more now than we did in the past. And it's probably a very complicated reasons why. But one of the reasons is because of the screens. And so we are constantly looking at these screens and we're seeing images of other people. And we're comparing our bodies to their bodies. And we're walking away with a healthy degree of body shame. But part of the problem that we have is that we have to remind ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, that some of these images that we're looking at on our screen of other people, they're not actually real people. They're actually, maybe they are real people, but, but what they've done is they've taken them into an editing program and they have washed away their blemishes and they have presented themselves to us on the screen and it's, that's not actually a real person. That's not what they actually look like. If you go back in time 100 years ago, and you thought, okay, well, what images would I have seen 100 years ago? And then we could compare some body shame statistics from today to 100 years ago. But 100 years ago, you would have seen beautiful people in a magazine or in a newspaper, or maybe people in your life, but they would have been real people. An author I like to follow, Sam Alberry, has, has said this. He said, It's no wonder that we struggle with body image issues. We're no longer comparing ourselves to the best of our species, but to the best of our species' imagination. And we are forever failing to meet the standards that have been set by our species' imagination. And so we are plagued with body shame. The Bible speaks to it. And we just go back to Genesis chapter 3 again. And interestingly, the very first fruit of human sin was body shame. So we might be dealing with spiked levels of it right now, but it's one of the deepest wounds that human beings carry in their bodies. It says that right after Adam and Eve ate that fruit in Genesis 3, 7, it says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then God comes down in the garden looking for them and Adam responds and he says, uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid, why? Because I was naked and I hid myself. So we should have a great deal of empathy for one another as we struggle with body shame because it is a deep wound that we carry all the way from Adam and Eve to this day. And in this coming sermon and in the sermons to come in the coming weeks, hopefully we can give you hope and and clarity of thought. But even from this verse today, we have to ask ourselves, if you do struggle with those body shame issues, we have to ask, has God's light shone into your heart? to give you the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is his treasure within your clay pot because if it is then you should be getting your value not from your clay pot it's just a clay pot you should be getting your value from the treasure that is within your clay pot and if I compare my clay pot to your clay pot yeah, mine might have more cracks in it than yours but I don't get my value from the clay pot I get my value from the treasure that is within it And that's easy to say and it's hard to believe, but sometimes when I feel things, I have to tell myself that sometimes what I'm feeling isn't necessarily true. And I have to remind myself of what God's word tells me and that it is truth and that there is a treasure inside of me and that's where I find my value, not in this clay pot. So our brokenness manifests in sickness and suffering in body shame. And then most significantly, we could say it manifests in death. And death was never part of God's plan. You go back to Genesis 3, and you can see that it's clear. If you eat from the fruit, then you will surely die. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death has spread to all men because all sinned. So we just keep going back to Genesis chapter 3 and say, From that, now we all have sickness and suffering, and we all have body shame, and we all die. And yet we live in a society that is really doing a really hard, or really um, uh, trying hard to ignore the fact that death awaits us all, to fix the fact that death awaits us all, to ignore it, pretend like it isn't there, distract ourselves. Maybe it'll go away, or maybe we'll be able to fix it. If you visit the Cryonics Institute, it's just cryonics.org, you will read this on their homepage. Imagine a world free of disease, death, and aging. That's a great opening line to any sermon. Let's preach about heaven. At the Cryonics Institute, we believe that day is inevitably coming, and cryonics is presently our best chance of getting there. Oh. Our mission is to extend human lifespans by preserving the body using existing cryogenics technologies with the goal of revival by future science. This is such a great illustration of the fact that we are all created in God's image, And yet we are all broken. You know what God's image is in there? God's image that's in each and every human being is a desire and appetite to live forever. What a great opening sentence. Let's imagine together a world with no sickness, no disease, no death. Yes, that's the image of God that is within you. Oh, but here's what we do with the image of God. We, We distort it and then we try to satisfy that appetite in ways that are not God's ways. And so we say, like, we can solve this problem without God. With your money and science, maybe one day we can live forever without God. And so we try to solve death on our own. As Christians, we should see that death is an enemy intruder into God's perfect world. Death was not part of God's plan. It is an evil intruder into God's plan, and we should rage against it. We should not, however, though, as we face it, pretend like it doesn't exist or think that we can overcome it in this physical mortal body that we have. As we face death, we should be filled with hope. As Jesus rose from the dead, so I too can rise from the dead. We should look at scripture as we will in weeks to come and see that one day he will resurrect my body and glorify it, but we should face death and not ignore it, but we should face it with the promise of the resurrection and the confidence that comes with it. And so our brokenness can be illustrated in its clay pots that are fragile and that's seen in our sickness and our suffering, our body shame, and then finally in death. So why highlight these things, right? One could say this is kind of a downer. Why highlight the brokenness of these clay pots? Well, I do it for, for two reasons, but one is not as important as the other. I mean, one is a lot of people go through their life pretending they're not in this fragile clay pot. Distracting themselves from the frailties of the human condition and just consumed with media and entertainment and ignoring the fact that their bodies are wasting away. But I think most of you get that because you've gathered here today. And so for you, really, I highlight it so that we will be more compassionate people. We are all broken, each and every one of us. And that should provoke some compassion and some empathy in one another. That coworker that just gets on your nerves is a broken person. And that family member that's in your life that is just making every wrong decision possible, well, that's, that's because they're broken. That person that looks so perfect on your screen, you scrape away the layers, that, that's a human being who is broken. That transgender person, that straight person, that gay person, Broken, broken, broken. Each and every one of us is broken. And I'm broken in ways that you don't even know about. I'm broken in ways that I'm never even going to tell you. But in the midst of my brokenness, suppose you discover some of my brokenness. Here's what I don't want you to do I don't want you to try and fix me. In the same way, if I broke my leg this morning and I was writhing in pain up here, here's what I don't want you to do I don't want you to come up here and try and fix my leg. For goodness sakes, don't try to fix me. Listen to me. Have compassion and try to understand where I'm telling you the pain is coming from. And if you prove to be compassionate, and if you prove to be understanding, then I might trust you enough to let you help me get to someone who can fix me. And around church, oftentimes we refer to Jesus as this, as the great physician. Why? Because he has the ability to heal us in an eternal way that no one here on earth can do. He is the great physician and gives eternal healing to our bodies and our souls. And so we are all broken and fragile. So I want us to be gentle with one another. I want us to have compassion and a spirit of understanding for the people we meet this week. And so that if we have opportunity, we might be able to help them get to the great physician if we have proved to be compassionate and understanding people. And the great physician, we're told in Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 to 18 has a lot more verses in it. Um, So let's look at a few more of them before we go. Verses 7 through 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul will go on to say in this book that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So. Why jars of clay? You have every right to ask that. Why, in God's infinite wisdom, would he put his treasure into a fragile, humble, breakable clay jar? Why, God? That seems foolish. And Jesus is giving you the answer. He's saying, I'll tell you why I put it in a jar of clay, so that the surpassing power of God will be evident in us, so that people will see us and we will be able to show them that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. How can you persevere? How is it that you're not crushed? How is it that you don't have despair? It's not anything to do with this pot. It is 100% all about the treasure that is within me, which is the glory of God that has shined into my heart through the face of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you about Jesus? And that's why he has put it in these clay pots. It's so that we will be able to say, I can't, but God can. I fail, but God wins. I'm weak, but he is strong. I will die but he will resurrect me. And remember how we get to salvation. It is as simple as A, B, C. We admit, we believe, and we confess, and so we admit that we need him. We admit that we can't. And we believe that he can and that he has and that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so then I commit my life in faith to his path and to his way. And you want to know the people in society who model that for us better than anybody else? It's the people that are sick and suffering and who have come to terms with their own mortality. And they have said, I can't, I can't. But God can. People who battle body shame and they say, I can't. My only hope is that God can. People who lie on their deathbed and say, I can't. But God can. You see those are the people in our society that can teach this better than anyone else why because God's power is made perfect in weakness. And we are clay pots. And Paul says we are afflicted in every way. We are Paul says we're afflicted in every way. That word can uh, you can also say we are hard pressed on every side. Paul's saying I'm stressed out. And you're stressed out too if the studies are true. Stress is on a just rocket ship up in America with pandemic and Russia and politics and financial situations and your work and your sickness and your health. And so stress is on the rise. And Paul's saying, I get it. I feel hard-pressed on every side, but I am not crushed. It's like a picture of a a grape in a wine press. Hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. And maybe you're saying that, Paul, that's great. I'm so happy for you. But let me tell you what, I'm a crushed grape. I am a crushed grape. I'm crushed. And that's where we have to begin to do a little bit of self-talk or let the Spirit of God talk to us and say, because I feel crushed, doesn't mean I am crushed. Why? Because God put a treasure in me, and God's not going to allow that treasure to get crushed because it's His treasure, and He's going to protect Him and cause it to persevere. So we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed. Paul was perplexed. I'm perplexed. I don't understand it. I don't understand why children have to have cancer. I am perplexed. I don't understand why there has to be so much suffering in the world. There's so much suffering in this world, and I am perplexed by it, but not driven to despair. And if I had to write it in an uninspired version, I would say, but at least not always driven to despair, because I trust that God is infinitely good infinitely loving infinitely wise and i'll humble myself and say he must he must have a plan sometimes people will come at christians and they'll say you need to explain to me why there's so much suffering in this world and that's a great question and it's probably the hardest question that we'll have to answer in life but i think sometimes what i want to do sometimes is just ask the asker to just pause a minute and say i'll answer your question when you come back to me with all the other answers of all the other options. So you go and do your research. You let me know what the Buddhist answer is, what the Muslim answer is, what the Hindu answer is. You let me know what the atheist answer is, what the agnostic answer is. You bring all those answers back. We'll lay them out on the table, and then I'll give you Christianity's answer. And you know what you're going to find? None of them are going to make you happy. None of them are going to satisfy you like you're looking for. But you want to know what makes Christianity unique compared to all the other ones that are on the table? My God came down from heaven and he took on human flesh. He was found in the likeness as a man. And he had a broken body. And he was beaten and he was abused, and he was afflicted in every way, and he was persecuted, and he he was struck down. And the Heavenly Father looked down, and he saw his son being abused, and the son hung on the cross being tortured to death until he finally took his last breath and died. And I'll let you know that my answer to why there's so much suffering in the world may not satisfy you, but you know what satisfies me? Is that in the midst of suffering, I can turn to a God who has experienced the suffering And I have to trust that he has a plan. He knows how I feel. And I can tell you that there's a lot of people throughout the history of the world who have found such peace and hope and goodness resting in the midst of the suffering and a God who has endured suffering. And that's the answer I can give you as to why. I am perplexed but not driven to despair. I look at Jesus Christ hanging on the cross and I see him perplexed because some of the last words out of Jesus' mouth were, My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? But you see, Jesus was perplexed but not driven to despair. Jesus was persecuted but not forsaken. Jesus was struck down but not destroyed. And he is the perfect illustration to these verses. But I'll give two other illustrations to close us out. Less perfect, but good illustrations nonetheless. The first one's named Virginia Klimko. And many of us in the room know Virginia, remember Virginia. She's one of the most recent funerals we've done at Northgate Church. She went to be with her heavenly father in April of this year at the age of 82. She lived a full life. Great-grandmother, grandmother, mother, wife life full of blessings from God. Strong Christian woman, leaves behind a heritage of Christian faith. Most of the time I knew her, though, Virginia was sort of bent over. And her days were marked with just sort of constant pain. As she lived through each day, bent over, hard-pressed on every side. But not crushed perplexed as to why she would have to endure the pain, but not driven to despair, struck down in April. And her body is at rest, her physical body in a cemetery not far from here. But listen to the words of Scripture. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Virginia Klimko is in a place right now and experiencing the eternal weight of glory that we can't even explain to you because it is beyond comparison. But if you compare heaven and this eternal weight of glory that are on her shoulders right now, they don't even compare to her light and momentary afflictions. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's an illustration of a full life, well-lived. And some lives are cut short too soon because of the sin and the injustice in this world. And so my second illustration is of a beautiful human being named Rekiah Ebony Hartzell. Rekiah was a part of our church, She is now walking the streets of heaven with her creator. She started walking the streets of heaven in March of 2019. At a young age, her body was broken, and she was afflicted. She was struck down in her body. And I am still perplexed to this day why God would allow it to happen. But Northgate Church was blessed by Rakiah's presence. John and Diana Gormley were her foster parents for a time until... Tim and Vicki Hartzell adopted her and brought her into their home and into their family and they would bring her to our services on Sunday and she would sit right here and worship with us. If we choose to look only at the things that are seen, then we will be crushed and driven to despair. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Though our outer self is wasting away, though evil and injustice surround us, though suffering and pain plague us, Though we are afflicted, persecuted, and struck down, we are not destroyed. And Rekiah's broken body was temporary. But you know what is eternal? You know what is true is that one day God is going to resurrect Rekiah's body and he is going to glorify it. And one day we will experience that eternal weight of glory with her. And we will see that the light and momentary afflictions of this life don't even compare. As you go today, I want you to apply this sermon in two ways. One way I want you to apply this sermon is I want you to try and keep life in perspective. We are clay pots. I know that sometimes we feel like we can just keep going and we'll never break, but we are clay pots. We are broken bodies. We are hard pressed on every side, but we have a treasure inside of us, don't we? And that treasure inside of us is where we get our value. And why? So that the surpassing power of God might be on display in my life. So let's keep some perspective to our lives. I'm a clay pot, but I want the face of Jesus Christ to shine through me to other people so that my broken body will be how others see the face of Jesus. And I am wasting away physically, but my spirit is being renewed day by day. And I may be going through affliction, but I have waiting for me an eternal weight of glory. So let's keep this life in perspective. And then two, as we go, let's apply this sermon by being compassionate to the broken people around us. Let's be people marked with compassion. This was, Missy shared this with me this week from Facebook. I did some research. I think it's true. You never know with Facebook, though, do you? This seems to be true. Years ago, an anthropologist was asked by a student what she considered to be the first signs of life in a civilization. And so the student thought, well, my anthropologist professor will answer, okay, so I'm studying human civilizations, I'm digging through the layers of archeology span and it's whenever I come upon a fish hook or maybe I come upon a clay pot. Then I know in my research, that's where human civilization started on this layer of the excavation. But what the professor responded with, it wasn't clay pots or fish hooks or a grinding wheel. She said, no, the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture is when a femur that had been broken and then healed, When we find a healed femur, then we know that's where civilization starts. And here's why because in the animal kingdom, you break a femur and there is no more hope for you. Then you will die. You won't be able to make it to the watering hole. You won't be able to feed yourself and you will die. So when we're digging through the layers and we come to a broken and yet healed femur, then we know at that point that's where civilization starts. Because someone came alongside the one who fell and they bound up the wound and they carried the person to where they could recover and they nursed them and they helped them recover. And so, if you help someone through difficulty, and we have evidence of that, then that is where civilization starts, she says. So you might say, compassion is the first sign of civilization. Let's be a compassionate people this week as we go. Let's keep the things of this life in perspective. And let's be people that shine brightly with compassion. Let's pray.